0: Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every Maybe way. be the miners.
1: Sure. I mean, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down dead. women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There
0: yeah, no colored bathrooms in this building, and a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. There's one thing the history of evolution has taught us. It's that life will not be contained. Life finds a way. Where's our, in my not-so-humble
1: opinion? Our most inexhaustible source of magic.
0: Hello, and happy Halloween, and... I was going to say good tidings, but that's not Halloween. All Hallows'
1: Eve, <laughs> All Saints' Day, Samhain is the Celtic thing I was thinking of the other day. That's mm-hmm. what they celebrate. Mm-hmm. Dia de los Muertos. But what do
0: they say? Like, you uh, know, good... Oh <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dead, how Merry are you? Merry <laughs> Christmas. What's the Halloween equivalent to that? They It's a
1: celebration of the end of harvest. So I'm sure it's hope you survive the winter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't be like the Donner party. See you next year.
1: I actually don't know. I'm not sure what they say.
0: (laughs) Well, anyway, welcome. I am Jen. I am one of the hosts of this podcast. We've been doing this for more than a year now.
1: (gasps) Our first episode of Halloween was Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice
0: with Terry and our good friend Claudio. I just like saying his name. I mean, they're both good friends. I said that out of way. But, <laughs> uh, and sitting across from me is the ghoulish, undead. I love it. skeletal remains of Miss Charlotte Martinez. My throat is still working. skin right there around <laughs> your throat. That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> so today, we are going to be talking about something that is ooky spooky and it is called goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Do you also, feel that everybody? <laughs> also known as goose pimples. Oh yeah. That sounds less scary yeah. though. Yeah. goose bumps. Ghost bumps. <laughs> ghost bumps? <laughs> if you have ghost bumps, make sure you see your position. <laughs> if we can have ghost sweat in the world, thank you, Halloween Town, we can have ghost bumps. Do you want to give us some context about what the hell we're talking about?
1: Yes. If you don't know already what goosebumps implies, other than the sensation your body gets when you get cold, we are talking about R.L. Stein horror children's novels and the formula, I'm going to call it a formula because it kind of is, of horror and humor, which worked so well in its time and still does, don't get me wrong. I think it's second only to Harry Potter series as far as... Hmm the most series sold actually around the world not even the united states because he's translated it in multiple languages which Hmm. is great so if you haven't heard of goosebumps
0: you might be get out from your rock
1: (laughs) well i was gonna say you might be older than us because it was only what 80s and 90s he started writing them and then they flourished from there so that's kind of like our generation so our generation should definitely know what goosebumps is But I don't blame you if you don't, otherwise.
0: (laughs) We do, and we'll judge you harshly Uh, for it. Yes,
1: absolutely. We've selected three stories from his book series, and we're going to talk about their corresponding TV shows, right, which was done Mm -hmm. in the 90s by Fox. Um, And then we'll also scrutinize what the formula is, what makes these books successful as a story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And fun. Right. Not just successful. (laughs) Right. It could be a really
1: awful format uh... (laughs) that just sell really well.
0: I mean, uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's like these books have been around forever. I guess the 90s isn't forever, but... <laughs>
1: it seems like it's the right it.
0: <laughs> To us, it does. Right. But there's a reason for it other than the formula really working, which is that I think it really captured a lot of people's imaginations and it made things scary without terrifying most children, excluding me, I was always terrified. It was good stuff, though. It was, like, different than what you would get from, like, Nancy Drew or some of the other, like, children's series You don't usually hear about horror for children's books. So
1: the timeline of this formula, which again, I'm calling horror humor. Yeah. uh, Only because R.L. Stein calls it that in an interview. There's a
0: documentary for Tales from the Crypt.
1: Which was the comic series that turned into like a TV series, much like Goosebumps, actually, except it was for more mature audiences.
0: And then there's a, I can't remember the name of it now, but it's Tales from the Hood. That's what it is. Oh, sweet. It's hilarious, but it's like Tales of the Crypt with like urban, quote unquote, urban setting. Oh my God, so great. That would be fun to watch.
1: That's very thematic of all of this material too, by the way, is that it starts off with some sort of literature, either comics or In R.L. Stein's case, it's children's novels, which adapt so well into TV series. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so the comic company that started Tales from the Crypt was Entertainment Comics, which started in the 40s. Again, Mm -hmm. that timeline of mid-40s to late 50s is the golden age of
0: rebellion.
1: (laughs) At least that's where it starts, because I know we've talked about that in The Twilight Zone and Mm -hmm. science fiction. We're talking Mm -hmm. about the golden age of science fiction so comic books in general yeah anything that seemed to pulp
0: right pulp fiction
1: pulp fiction that was all in that time frame very rebellious stage of Mm. the 50s right this is how you comment on your society when you're unhappy
0: (laughs) i mean if you're unhappy but not incredibly (laughs) angered over what's happening in the world right
1: right? (laughs) right right and the cool thing about ec comics at this time was that they were designing comic books about gore and guts for children, but I think it was excused most times because of its humor aspect mm. or its dark irony or what we would call the twist ending, which is what Arl Stein uses now in his books as the twist ending. So, as long as that justice was done in these stories, it felt okay to have these scary scenarios, these kind of gruesome scenarios. Yeah. And parents did revolt, they almost <laughs> succeeded in shutting down the comic brand. Because of that. Yeah, censorship. Major, major. I actually have a quote from the creator of EC Comics, who I've never heard of, but he seems pretty interesting. His name is William Gaines. Okay. And he went in front of the Senate in 1954 because Mm. he was getting a lot of backlash for these comic books. But despite that, they were still being sold like crazy. Mm. Obviously, it was wanted. But what he said to the Senate in a statement, he read, quote, Are we afraid of our own children? Do Mm -hmm. we forget that they are citizens too Mm -hmm. and entitled to the essential freedom to read? Or do we think our children so evil, so vicious, so simple-minded that it takes but a comic magazine story of murder to set them to murder? End quote.
0: It's a resounding yes all around. <laughs> <laughs> parents are terrified of children. Right. I like this idea that we don't even acknowledge children
1: as citizens yet. They're property of their parents until mm-hmm. they reach, what, voting age? I don't even know. <laughs> but he's right. They have freedoms that we sort of forget. And mm-hmm. it's not the same as protecting them. It's censoring them. And luckily, Tales from the Crypt did go to a network that was uncensored. Yeah. So they were able to make it more mature. And, you know, the audience sort of adjusted. It didn't become just for children. It was then like young adults. And...
0: Right. That's how you do it, right? Yeah, exactly. You shift with the, yeah, I love it. Shift with the time. Exactly.
1: In that documentary, R.L. Stein did quote, it was that amazing mix of horror and humor. What I try to do on a much gentler level is what he says.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: But of course, Stein didn't enter the timeline of this formula until he graduated from college, which was 1965. And he went to New York, started writing joke books for kids. And then before Goosebumps, he did start writing horror novels for teens. It was like okay. that range of 12 to 18. Okay. And those were called Fear Street. Have you heard of Fear mm. Street?
0: I have some research in this, but not before that.
1: Right. I've never heard of them. Mm. And they sold really well, too. Not as well oh. as
0: Goosebumps. Yeah.
1: But he was pretty successful already. Nice. Brand new information. I was just like, what?
0: <laughs> I, how come nobody talks about Fear Street?
1: Right. I guess the difference is that those stories take place in one location on Fear Street. As out. the lights <laughs> flicker
0: in this the room. The lights are flickering. <laughs> you can't see it. <laughs>
1: They do. <laughs> that was very appropriate. I was going to say, because the street is a haunted street. Uh-huh. So I'm sure their lights go out many times.
0: Twilight Zone, it's all coming together. Yep. yep.
1: <laughs> and most of the time it was mystery rather than horror. I mean, he, he oh. does have gruesome deaths and gore and stuff like that, okay. but that's less so than mystery, is okay. what I researched.
0: Like, not so focused on the terror. You see that in some of the Goosebumps books as well.
1: Yeah. But yeah. it
0: definitely weighs heavily on. Here. Right, right. The surprise. Yeah. yeah.
1: And that was the other thing. It was not as many twists in mm. those endings. The goosebump twist really coined its entrance in goosebumps. You mm. know, that became the thing, like the beginning, the middle, the twist. Mm. He started those because his publisher was like, you know what we haven't tried? <laughs> <laughs> <Yes."> Damn publishers, <laughs> oh, man. <yeah. laughs> but it's also smart to have publishers for that reason, right? They're totally. like Oh, you know, if teenagers are reading this I bet you we can hit up those (laughs) seven-year-olds. That's not something you want to (laughs) hear. But yeah, his publisher basically said there's this untapped market from age seven to 12, and horror has never been directed to them before, at least not in the U.S. in this form. There wasn't a lot of deaths. There was still a sense of comeuppance. What they're saying is like poetic justice for the villainous characters or aspects of it. So by the end, you knew like, oh, okay, well, my child may be freaked out, but at least it'll all turn out all right. (laughs) (laughs) Which we'll talk a little bit more about. Yes. That was his entrance, I guess, into the Goosebumps formula. And he wrote those starting 1992. Okay. He was contracted for four books. And at first they were mildly successful, but just like EC Comics, it blew up and sales today on all of the goosebumps because then he became contracted for a book a month
0: damn he, yeah he was damn. generating a book a month <laughs> 400 million books sold damn. In 32 languages nice nice and he still seems i mean based on the interviews i've read in the books he seems like a really chill dude he does right he doesn't seem like affected by by that and he's not in the spotlight all that much yeah I, he's doing it really well he is he totally is much respect (laughs) (laughs) like he's somebody that i would like to meet at some point i think it would be cool to meet him and it's interesting. yeah i mean he's in a unique position to have been part of so many childhoods i'm sure there's a lot of fans that when they got older reached out to him and he's still
1: writing. I mean, the fact that he's still going with these offshoot series. of that's awesome. successful formulas. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's no shame in that. He's, he's a children's writer. That's okay. That's right. great. You know, he's yeah. done something new. It's okay to do that.
0: I mean, if Stephen King is allowed to do that shit, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then why not him?
1: Yeah, exactly. It just happens to be ch- children's novels. That's you know? right. <laughs> so I think that's great.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: And the only other thing I was going to add is some of the backlash, but... Some of the reviews were typical, like, this is too harsh for the kids, or mm. parents want to ban it, and it was on a few <laughs> lists, right? I'm not sure how it's standing now, though. Do
0: you know? I don't know how it's standing now. We had, in our sixth grade class, we had all the Goosebumps books. Us too? Yeah. Yeah. I know times have changed a little bit, but still. I mean, I think the there were two series, I remember, that were kind of in the same genre, and it was Goosebumps and the series called Scary Stories. Right. Mm-hmm. And those were the ones that had the really creepy covers, but they were kids, but they were like a little bit further than Goosebumps. They were pretty freaky, but there was always a twist at the end ah, um, that made it better. Right. Like there was one about like a woman who's in her car driving home and the person behind her keeps flashing his light at her and she's all freaked out. And she's just, like, trying to get home, which is what you should not do. Do not drive home if somebody's following you. You drive to the police station, just FYI. So she's driving home, and, like, the lights are flashing, and she's like, what is happening? And she pulls in the driveway, and the car pulls up behind her, and this guy comes up to her, and he's like, get out of the car. And she's like, why? And he's like, there's somebody in the back seat trying to grab you. And so, like, they get out of the car, and there's, like, a crazy guy in the back seat. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So it kind of like changes how you perceive it. Yeah. But that was in our sixth grade class as well. And those were a little bit more frightening. But I would imagine that comparatively, if I were a parent, I would probably want to get rid of that one. Right.
1: Versus the goosebumps. (laughs) Which
0: is usually children, you know, in situations dealing with stuff on their own for the most part and usually getting themselves out of it. Yes, good point. Self-preservation should be something that kids learn, right? Yeah. Is that that's... crazy? <laughs> I was
1: even thinking, because one of the examples for EC Comics, which again was directed for younger adults, the scenario they used in the documentary clip that I saw was a scene where the father sold bad meat in his meat shop. Ooh and his son happened to eat some and his son died like it, it killed him it killed him and his friends and, and the, I remember the mom was so furious that like she kills her husband because of it. but the next the next box of the comic is her selling his body parts
0: in their meat shop oh my
1: god and also like that's the dark humor twist thing coming into play but again that's really horrific to a child I think
0: I really I, want to read that that sounds awesome
1: so you're right it's, it's pretty subdued compared to like yes like
0: those two yes
1: hmm.
0: agreed i
1: kind of want to read some too <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll have a lot of material for next year yeah. i guess we don't have to save horror for halloween only but that's it does true
1: fit you're you right know. it's appropriate for yes. this month yes. well speaking of horror mm-hmm. do you want to tell us some some repercussions of this genre on our
0: youth no, interesting I, I was like i'm gonna talk about child psychology that's an interesting uh connection talking about horror so do you want to talk about psychology of children (laughs) Like, yeah i do actually i wanted to bring it up in a very casual manner because i think that a lot of what this is is child psychology and how people react to it is a big problem i mean in terms of like trying to ban things like we're talking about in terms of child psychology there's a couple different contexts that child psychologists look at the development of a child so there's like the cultural societal socioeconomic right those are and the essential influences are within those three categories so you have like cognitive development that's how the brain functions and is keeping up gender roles genetics language personality development prenatal development social growth and sexual development so those are all the like main things that go on from a child from zero To however long it takes. There's a couple different subsections of child psychology, and the theory is that if you don't get your needs met in one of those sections, that the ones after it may be kind of corrupted a little bit until you go back and sort of like address those. The importance of therapy. So the section that he's writing these books about in terms of children is like 11 to 14. That's a huge uh, section for child psychology because that's when a lot of different influences come together. Whether or not they're on par with where they should be in theory, that's where everything starts getting like commingled. And I thought it would just be good to keep that in mind as we go along, especially when it comes to environmental influences, cognitive development, social growth personality development, and sexual development. I think those are like the main ones that kind of stick out in terms of like, this is, as a child, if you were reading this, this is what would probably come up for you most. And I would hope that when people are reading things like this as a kid, that they're like internalizing some of it. Right. Because that's how we learn things, right? It's a lot of aping of behavior. So my hope would be that like these books would have a positive influence on a child in that development stage, looking at those particular things uh, subconsciously, obviously. They're not like, hmm. I'm 14. <laughs> I need to be looking at my social growth. But especially as parents and and parents that pay attention, I would hope, who are at least like aware that children need to be able to act out some of these things, read about them so that they can understand how it relates to themselves, learn those skills that are necessary like it's all part of a person's development.
1: Parenting must be so difficult. (laughs) I mean, it's not, it's your
0: judgment on how much
1: exposure your child needs. Because if you do that thing that's predicted, which is I will protect my child from everything all the time until they're 18 and then they get like bombarded and overwhelmed.
0: Yeah. That's definitely not right. Or they become so attached and dependent on their parents that they don't really have any other, they're not living an independent life at all, even from mind. It's all dependent. You know, but just to judge that for yourself, thinking that you might make mistakes, which you will. I mean, sometimes they are overexposed
1: and then you get trauma, but then they work through that trauma. There's so many degrees of it, but it's necessary because if you don't, then they won't grow like you just said. So this is interesting to hear that that's how it's working.
0: And I, I would argue on top of that, that it's much better in a lot of cases to... Work on that trauma and face that trauma when you're that age of the age of when it happens. Interesting. Because when you get older, then you have to go back. You don't have to, but it would improve your life greatly if you're able to go back and unscrew some of the things that got tangled. That was a mix of metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) I related
1: to that sentence. I don't
0: know. (laughs) Unbraid the nails from.
1: (laughs) I would agree with that. Yeah. Especially nowadays when you're seeing those effects.
0: Yeah. It's, it's too important, I think, to let kids be able to figure that stuff out, be there as a presence, of course, and like be supportive, but allow your kids the space and reading material like this, especially in school, is a great way to do that because then they can have a conversation with other students as well as like learn about how this connects to greater life lessons and how adults perceive things versus kids, you know, and, and keep up being a kid as well it's not too adult where you're like traumatized into being an adult now that's just not the case <laughs> the the
1: format of art that's what it's there for it's an entrance into these themes because it's a safe place when you're speaking of art you're right you should be able to speak about it with somebody else in a yeah. school environment that's even better right because that's when they encourage it especially literature you know children's novels that's a great entrance i think into a lot of subjects
0: i think so too and yeah honing in your imagination yeah. but you know a lot of people don't believe in that for some reason that we will not get into they were scared i mean attack though right
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean in the 40s and 50s i'm sure it was terrifying sort of like our video game phenomenon that idea that they're gonna be terrible people or thieves or right. killers later because they're playing a video game. It's that fear and the first signs of it is understandable. But when you learn, yeah, you have to then learn to drop that because obviously it's not true.
0: That's it's just when I a get mad. Of, yeah, it's just a bunch of like adults projecting onto their children. Yeah, exactly. And how is that fair to your child in any shape or form? Right. Anyway, let's get back to Halloween. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> Goblins, ghouls, ghosts. <laughs>
1: what were we saying
0: can we talk about the formula
1: yes the formula let's... indeed <laughs> because we're, we keep saying it and i'm sure people are like well what the heck does that mean
0: it's a little bit of co2 i don't know is that water <laughs> carbon dioxide yeah mixed with some h2o and yeah lptcbd <laughs> oh,
1: no, <sorry>. CBD. Oh, <laughs> LGBT CBD i like well, it what i mean by that and again i don't think formula is a great word for it but that's how i remember story patterns is by saying the word formula because i feel like those exist in little trinkets in a lot of places
0: formula works really well because you can tinker with it exactly you have like a base ingredients and then you can tinker with it so formula works in a lot of really positive ways. Especially for
1: writers now, they hear the word formula and they're like, <sighs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I get it
1: because it's like, well, it's been done before. Well, everything has been done before. Okay, yeah. just get over it. You're going to repeat. You're going to recycle. That's life. But don't be afraid of that. It's okay. But do you know what's
0: unique? What? Is your mind. Yes. <laughs> your experiences, who exactly. you are as a person. Thank you very much, Jen. Just it. <laughs> <Get> my point. <laughs>
1: So what I wrote down, I want to actually hear what you wrote down too, as far as the things that are repeated and stuff that comes up. It's usually the narration comes from children. It's a first person narrative. They tend to have a family with them. Mm -hmm. They end up in an isolated area or some sort of place that they're not familiar with. And they do tend to have to get themselves out of scrapes. It's their job. It's not... They have parents around, but the parents don't, at least in the the sources we read, don't do much or anything at all. So it is all about the children and what actions they take, which I think is important, like you said, for a child to read about.
0: Yeah. Um, Our children don't
1: need us. (laughs) No. And then, of course, the big twist ending, which is what we just talked about. That's the humor horror, meaning everything turns out okay. But it's a surprise, as in it's suitable for the story. Like, you, it's unexpected, but it works thematically. And there's some sort of sense of comeuppance, which is the badness gets what it deserves, okay. or it doesn't triumph over good. So maybe that's always, like, a positive for parents. Well, as long as that's there, it's okay. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, that'd be some dark shit. Why would somebody write, like, (laughs) horror stories for children, about children dying from evil things? Like, that's messed up. That's too much.
1: That's too far. (laughs) And then yeah, he uses a lot of cliches and yeah. idioms, but that makes sense because children need some exposure to that in literature, right?
0: Yeah. And I would I would argue that also it, it tends to work because it makes the twists more a little bit more unexpected. Yeah. Because you kinda get into a rhythm of like, Oh yeah, I know this story. Right. Like let's just go on because I know this. And yeah. then it turns and you're like, oh, <laughs> It's fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's where we thwart the expectation. Right. Did I miss any
1: what did you what did you write?
0: The only other thing I added, which I don't know if this is part of the formula or not, you have to tell me, is that something like supernatural happens. Oh, yeah. Did okay. I, <laughs> <you
1: know>? <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> did I forget to say that one? <laughs> that's like important,
0: yes. Meaning something extraordinary beyond Like, without a doubt, something, quote, magical happens. Totally. Which makes it the theme of Halloween, typically. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, but I mean, I didn't, I wasn't sure if that was, like, part of a formula or if that was, like, part of the genre that the formula is in, you know? That's a good point. Because you could technically take this formula and put it in a different genre.
1: Oh, yeah, like his mysteries, for example. Exactly, exactly. But for the Goosebumps formula, I would say that's absolutely true.
0: Okay. Mm Okay. Whereas like in Twilight Zone, right, it was more of a like slight magical thing where it's like, "Mm, was that magical? Sometimes it was, but sometimes it was like, hmm, that's like teetering on the edge. Whereas this is very much like, nope, this is supernatural. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And the only thing it's lacking in the horror
1: genre, I should say, is the guts and gore concept. He has it. We'll even talk about something we read that had it. Yeah. But it doesn't get very far.
0: He, he gives you enough description to get a good image, but it's not gratuitous in any way. And it's not as visceral as it probably could be. That's a good word. Thank you. Visceral. Right? <laughs> the- and of course, there's no sex and drugs. So Well, there's that. Because <laughs> they're supposed to be, what, like 11 to 14, right? right? So not that they don't, but it's just like, let's hope that they aren't. Right. <laughs> Anything else for formula?
1: The only other thing I added here was that quote from the Jack Black movie of Goosebumps, when Jack Black plays Stein. And at the end of that feature movie, he says, Every story ever told can be broken into three distinct parts the beginning, the middle, and the twist. Beginning, the middle,
0: the twist. Yeah. Let's talk about the three stories that we chose which we saw the TV show episode four and read the three books for. And then we read a supplemental book as well on one of those. So it's actually four, three stories and four books and three TV show episodes. Lovely. That was great. And each TV episode was two parts. So it was six. Ooh. Okay. So four books, six episodes, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and three stories. Three stories. That yeah. was everything, right? Cool. <laughs> a skeleton in a dead tree. <laughs> ah, very good. So which one do you want to start with? I think we should start with the first one he wrote in the ones that we p- picked, which was Welcome to Dead House. Perfect. Which is also his first book, right? Yeah, uh. that
1: was one of the four first published in 1992.
0: Do you want to give us a little uh, info about it?
1: Yeah. So I wrote a synopsis for each one of our stories. So welcome to Dead House. So Dark Falls is a small town whose citizens died in a factory accident decades ago. In order to maintain their ghostly survival, they must annually consume blood of families lured into their town via an invitation to this, what they call the Dead House. So Amanda Benson... Moves into Dark Falls with her family, which was presumably willed to her father. But things are very strange. Amanda hears voices at night. The neighbors stay in the shade. Their dog barks at everyone. The town graveyard has an amphitheater, which I thought was awesome. (laughs) That's where the town gathers, in the graveyard. That's your first big sign. And then when Amanda gets a closer look at the gravestone, she sees that they belong to every citizen in Dark Falls. That she's currently met. Exactly. Yes. So the truth comes out that every citizen is the living dead. Before the ghosts can suck the blood of Amanda's family, Amanda and her brother discover that they can't withstand light. That's their kryptonite. And she's able to, well, in the end, she's able to, like, break down this tree, which is blocking their light in the graveyard. And they all just kind of melt away. A
0: disintegrate into yeah. dust. Yeah. It's great.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the twist in the book version, I think, and correct me if this is not the twist, but... In the end, the family thinks that all of the townspeople are gone. But as they're driving away from the dead house, Amanda turns to see or she thinks that she sees the realtor, the one who has died, right, who has melted away, sort of coming out of the house. And there's a new family that pulls up next to them saying, look, we're moving in. Mm -hmm. That's the spooky twist thing. Because that's not quite as funny. That one's more like, oh, my gosh, here it goes again. We did nothing to stop this. They're just going to keep coming back. Right.
0: And in the TV show, they rewrote it and kind of went a different direction with it. And Arl Stein was part of that. He seemed to be pretty supportive of it. I think he liked maybe seeing a different interpretation of his work.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. he seems
0: like a cool dude, as we've talked about.
1: <laughs> well, the big one I remember is in the TV show, they use a enchanted object.
0: Oh, of course.
1: I completely forgot about right. that. Well, I, I remember that because I thought it was a good tool. It was a good symbol, and it's still within the theme of the story, because in the book they make it seem like it takes a a few weeks to sort of initiate a family before they can suck their blood. (laughs) In the TV version, the reasons for sustaining the blood sucking was because the family was protected by this weird... I don't even remember what it was, like a
0: flower or something? It was, yeah, it was like a piece of art. kitschy. I would describe it as a kitschy art thing. Yeah, it was weird. But so, yeah, in the show it's the mothers I'm not sure why they indicated that so hardcore but they were like it's the mothers I'm like okay oh, yeah, cool and they like get to know the other kids in the neighborhood their parents are gonna go to a party it's very similar in a lot of ways to the book in that sense but one of her friends in the story or one of her new friends who she's like not sure about convinces her that she's on her side and that she's also trapped here and that these people are crazy and that they're being drawn by this portrait thing they convince her and the parents right are the parents yeah totally convince all of them to destroy it which they do and it was like their form of protection and they turn on them and they're being pursued by the people that kind of double cross them in that way
1: I thought that was, you're right, that was an added twist mm-hmm. where you think you have an ally in this one family who's trying to protect them. And yeah. then they're just like, thank you for destroying yes. your,
0: <laughs> your totem that <laughs> saved your life. One thing I noticed that, and this happens in another one as well, the female main character in the story, she fi- she's the one that figures out what needs to be done to fix things. And it's her idea, and she makes her brother work with her to, like, kick down this tree that's sort of, like, enveloping The amphitheater they like knock the tree over to knock over the canopy so that the light comes in in the show she's involved but she never like is the one that figures out what to do Hmm. there isn't like a moment where she's the one where she's like the hero of the story basically who's like this is what we must do oh interesting and in the book she is and we find that again a second time in one of the other stories we read less active hero
1: which is like why why would you do that
0: my thought would be that it's more about like the group working together Mm -hmm. but even then it falls short because the parents don't really have a role other than being naysayers and
1: i think the tv shows do a good job of following the narrator following the main character not that we know that they're narrating but
0: well we're close
1: with them the whole time it's okay to make them heroic i think in those situations but it would be nice (laughs) What other, what other themes of this story came up for you?
0: Ooh, there were so many. I really liked that it went from like a typical haunted house story because you kind of start off with creepy things happening in a house, things that would freak me out if I were a kid. But, of course, that's just me. But, you know, like people talking, whispering in her room that she can't see, somebody trying to get in through a closet that nobody can tell is there. Like her just like, There's, like, the scene that, like, sticks in my mind where she's just, like, walking up the stairs and she gets up to the landing. Maybe it's because my house was very similar in that way. Interesting. And at the end of the hall, there's just, like, a person standing in the shadows and she's, like, what the hell, you know? So a lot of, like, creepy ghosty things. And then it switches, right? And you see the other children and they're all, like, pale and they look almost, like, skeleton-like. They're zombies in a lot of ways, right? They're the living dead, but they're also, like, vampires where – They can't be in the sunlight. They need blood to live. They have a community, which typically is more vampiric than it is zombie-esque. Zombies don't really care. (laughs) Or don't think about those things. Yeah, typically. they don't do structure. (laughs) (laughs) And like ghosts kind of make sense, but like it doesn't really fit in once you find out that they're more like vampire zombie things. And it sounds ridiculous, but when you read it, it feels, for me, it felt really authentic. Like, I didn't feel like he was just, like, taking from each thing and just smashing them together.
1: It's literally one sentence. Stein is good at that. All of the explanation of the supernatural is just, like, one sentence. Because that's all you need. It's not about that. It's about the characters and their reactions to it. Yeah, you're right. I never got distracted by it. Great. Vampire, ghosts, zombies. Yeah, done. <laughs>
0: really. Slash cult. Slash, like, historic site. There's a lot of things going on there. Or even the origin of a factory being exploded and all the
1: citizens dying because of it. It's just, you fill it in, right? And as kids, you fill it in, too.
0: Yeah. And it's especially, I mean, I think that especially got me, too, because, you know, Flint, uh, not Flint, Flint. I can't remember the name of this town. But there's, you know, a lot of towns all over the U.S. that when the factory goes under, the town goes under. Right. And then you have, like, these all these people out of work. And, like, a city can collapse because of a factory closing. So the fact that this, this town never collapsed because they all came back from the yeah. dead is really interesting. And, like, I feel like it's very American <laughs> in a really, like, surprising way. So it's a lot of really different elements that, like you said, it's... You don't get more than a sentence at a time, but over the course of the story, you feel like you have a pretty rich idea. Uh, Like, it feels like a full place. It doesn't feel hollow.
1: I think first-person perspective helps that, too, because you're just finding out, along with the character, what it all means. And sometimes you don't always have the answers, right? If the character doesn't know, then we won't know. and Maybe we don't need to.
0: I think if I were to do it again, I would read the story first. And then watch it because I feel like getting that inside look first is really cool. And then when you see the film, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the the episode, it's good and everything, don't get me wrong. But I like the idea of being inside the older sister's head. The horror aspects
1: at the beginning of A Haunted House definitely gets you in the mood but when we move to what i call like the graveyard section where all of the truth sort of comes out i love the reveal the gravestones and that's how she finds out they're all dead it's not the dog barking and all this shady stuff going on with right. weird people but it's the fact that she reads a gravestone it's
0: like a fact <laughs> and she
1: turns around and the dude is right there like is this you? is this you <laughs> what? What's going on? This description actually was, for me, teetering on the gruesome because the way Stein writes it is that you see their skin melting off. Then there's bone and all that collapses on the ground. And and one of my favorite parts, which is actually the quote I chose as my favorite quote, was one of the girls that she she becomes kind of a friend. She's really kind despite her being a zombie. (laughs) (laughs) And when Amanda does expose the light on the entire town there's this moment where amanda sort of turns to her before she melts and says thank you like it was a relief i
0: forgot about that wasn't that a beautiful moment it was because everybody's like freaking out yeah but that's yeah that was yeah it was a good part i was a little disappointed i think that at the end the realtor was back though because that makes me feel like what did she miss what did they miss oh Are they just going to reset or like, because that did seem like a final thing. So maybe he's like left alone or something.
1: I would take that over everybody coming back.
0: Because I don't, he left, right? He didn't go to the amphitheater at the Uh end. I don't think he was there. I think he ran off or something. So Mm -hmm. maybe it's just him him and a couple others or something. I Yeah, I would accept that. (laughs)
1: more than everybody coming back. (laughs) Because you're right, there was some finality in Amanda's friend going away. Yeah. Which was more also uh, adventure-y, I guess. Yes. Fast pacing and the fact that they had taken their parents. It was just Amanda and her brother trying to save
0: them. They were, like, tied up in the center of the amphitheater, surrounded by all these ghettos. So, I mean, it's really up to the kids to, like, do something.
1: That would have been cool to see in the episode, I think. Yeah. I know that's really kind of ritualistic and maybe demonic for parents but that also can make a cool scene it would I be
0: totally cool yeah and it would it would be more confronting you know it'd be what the book is doing which is providing you with something to yeah. chew on whereas the show we don't want to like you know it's like oh okay you don't want to teach your children okay cool Okay, <laughs> <Great."> fine whatever <laughs> i have to say it's my favorite one that we read i liked how i liked the story i liked how it played out i like some of the images Haunted houses, you think you get tired of the same thing over and over. But again, it's perspective and who the main character is. Seeing it from a young female's perspective was really interesting. She's very brave. I'm like, damn, girl, (laughs) you're going to the grave in the middle of the night when you know all these people are dead with your brother and some dead kid. Like, she's pretty brave. I liked that. And I mean, in the books we've read, all
1: of Stein's male characters seem to be either wimpy or... (laughs) And whiny. Mm-hmm. And all of his female ones are the brave ones who do come up with the solutions.
0: It's true. So I'm like, huh, that's a great pattern. I think you should continue with that. <laughs> it is refreshing to see. Yes. And I don't feel put off that a, a middle-aged man is writing for a young woman either. Oh, huh. it didn't point. It felt pretty genuine. And he, we talked about this. He read in, in one of his interviews. He talks about, you know, being able to talk with a lot of children, see what they're talking about, see how they talk to each other. It's I think that makes a huge difference in authenticity. It's this like, homework. Hello, white men. This is how you do it. Okay. Yeah. You respectfully <laughs> talk to people who are not you. It's such a basic <laughs> thing,
1: but we encourage it, please. Yeah. Yes.
0: God. Gotta bring up patriarchy. You know. Every time. That's our goal. <laughs> how do you topple it if you don't talk about it? How do you topple it if you don't talk about it? <laughs> Tell us your quote. I'm curious. Her name was Karen, the friend. Amanda's killing Karen. <laughs>
1: I saw her hair fall to the ground in a heap, revealing the dark skull underneath. She cast a glance up at me, a longing look, a look of regret. And then her eyeballs rolled out of their sockets. And she opened her toothless mouth and cried, thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Isn't that
0: beautiful?
1: (laughs) I read that sentence like twice and I was just like, yeah, there we go. Yeah. That's that children's novel. That's a
0: great example. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, kind of got like a funniness to it, but yeah. it's also genuine, and yeah. it's like, I don't want to live like this. So thank you. Yes, <laughs> yes. One of the other stories we read is called "One Day at Horrorland." One, I was like, it's not welcome to Horrorland; it's welcome to Deadhouse. I keep, yeah, <laughs> I keep getting those
1: turned around because it feels like they should be turned around.
0: Yeah, interesting. One day at Horrorland. It's number five. So it was the fifth book he wrote. Aired in 1997 as the TV
1: series of Fox. So the story of the Horrorland. One Day at Horrorland. One Day at Horrorland. (laughs) Excuse me. So Lizzie Morris... And her family explore an amusement park called Horrorland after her parents get turned around on the road. Upon arriving, the family car blows up, presumably due to engine failure. While the parents are trying to figure out what to do, they let their kids go off and do the rides on their own called horror land it was not a good idea <laughs> but apparently the dead's really stressed so he has to of course he has. he'll do his thing <laughs> so lizzie her brother and her brother's young friend are all together in the book
0: right exploring luke and clay? Just, clay clay and luke i was like yeah. lizzie's the only one that matters so I, don't,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about them.
0: clay is her younger brother i believe and luke is his friend
1: these rides however are no ordinary park rides Their slides shoot you through fire. Mm -hmm. Their trick mirrors trap you in a shrinking box. Mm. Their thresholds are bat-filled barns. Yeah. And their river rides are suffocating coffins. With spiders. Yeah. As you imagine, desperate to leave, the family heads to the exit only to be surrounded by Horrorland monsters who explain that the family is on a hidden camera TV show. I actually don't even remember what they called the show now, but... It was, it was a humorous aspect because it was like, oh, yeah, this TV show is for monsters. You know, they watch the human victims.
0: There's even like a part where the dad's like, oh, we don't have cable. I was like, really? <laughs> really, dad? That's what you're going to say right now. <laughs> it's like, oh, that explains that we don't have cable.
1: According to the TV host, who's a monster, the family's final trial is to survive a monster attack, which they do but are rewarded with the threat of being pushed off a cliff. But before they are sent to their deaths, Lizzie remembers a sign in the park that read, Do not pinch. So what does Lizzie do? She reaches out to the monster host and pinches her as hard as she possibly can. And they start to deflate like a balloon. So this renders them incapacitated, and the family's able to actually take one of Horrorland's yeah. vans, yeah, which I like, and escape the park, yeah, because yeah. obviously they didn't they didn't have a car, yeah, because it exploded. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah, pretty scary. So that's that's the basic story. But we're going to talk about how the TV show sort of changed that up as well. The twist real quick um, in the book anyway, because the twist is different in the show. Mm -hmm. They get home. They're taking this van all the way back home and they think they're safe. And it turns out one of the monsters actually attached themselves to the back of the van. The whole way home. It was like two hours. (laughs) But as he disembarks, he goes up to the family and he gives them a pass. And he says, please come back next year. Yeah, here's your free pass for next year. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So there's an instance of the humor of the horror, right? Because that's unexpected, but it's pretty hilarious.
0: Yeah. But this, see, I like that ending. I like that a lot because my mind went to like, oh, they're going back next year. But they're oh. going to change things next year. Interesting. That was like my, like, Lizzie is going to become the monster hunter.
1: Ooh, I like that. Right? I like that.
0: TV show twist was not as hopeful. It was surprisingly dark for no reason whatsoever. I didn't like it. Just like the Dead House one. It ends on a really, like, dark note. I'm like, why are we doing this? I thought the whole point. Okay. <sighs> Whatever. So in the TV show, they go and their car breaks down. At Horrorland, and you see, they show you like underneath, there's like some hands that come up and are like doing something to the bottom of the car, right? They go into Horrorland, they do the same kind of stuff, take the rides, they're all scary. They see, like in the book, they see other families very briefly, or they'll see like a kid screaming with a parent. Near the end, I mean, the the twist in this is the game show, but they're recording the game show with this live studio audience, which I get, but it didn't really work, but I get it. And they're like contestants on this show and same sort of thing. Like after they get out of that, they're put in like this like caged area with the monster and they get released by this, by this attendant, one of the monsters who is like warning them to get out. Does that happen in the book? I mean, in the movie, in the show? There's no
1: forewarning, right? Um, okay. but this is the instance of an ally, which I'm glad they kind of kept.
0: Me too. I just wish there was a little bit of a warning because it kind of came out of nowhere. But Yeah, but
1: again, it was that humor. I mean, that right. whole section they were trying to make so humorous.
0: And then he dies.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they, kill he, they kill him. They kill him They kill the ally, yeah.
0: Like, I was like, what the heck? And that's not even the dark part. They're running through this horror land trying to get to the entrance, right? And it's caged up just like in the book and so they like hop a fence or whatever and they finally get back to their car because in this one they have a car they all get in the car and then they're like pursued by the monsters in a car right aren't they in a car they are and the the thing that they attach to
1: the bottom of their car is actually a remote control um...
0: right right so they like drive away and they think they're like getting away and then like the dad loses control of the car and there's like monsters around them and then we cut back to the tv show and you see the game show host remote controlling the car and they're headed towards a cliff and that's how it ends i'm like well, how is this better and then the
1: twist in this case is that on the teetering edge here we get pulled away and we come to perspectives of two monster viewers who are watching this tv show and the husband figure gets up and turns off the TV and he says, oh, that's so predictable. And then the wife is there in her curlers. And of course, she's a monster, too. So I, I get what they're trying to do. It's it's a huge humor detour. Right. I don't really understand why they went so heavy on that live TV show thing. I
0: don't either. The interesting part, I think, in the books is obviously the rides. Some of the rides are very interesting, like you mentioned in, in the book. The slide, the doom of the slide doom, doom of a slide, I can't remember what it's called. The doom slide. <laughs> it's something like that, where it's kinda of like the Matterhorn from Disneyland, but you like go all the way to the very top. It's all indoors, from what I understood. And you pick a slide and you hope you don't pick the doom slide. Wow. And then you slide down and it slides for like ever, right? And then you go through like a wall of fire and end up on a different in a different part of the park. And again, like Lizzie is the one who's like, I know how we... I think it was Lizzie. I know how to how to find him. Let's go take the slide he took. Right. And the brother's like, but he's, like, doomed. He's going to be sliding forever. And she's like, that's impossible. So they both go down that same slide and end up finding Luke. And so there's a lot of, of that recurring in it as well, where it's like, nobody's listening to her. But, I mean, her brother did, I guess, in that case. But, like, her parents, when they finally find their parents... They're like, let's take the coffin ride to get to the front of the park quicker. And she's like, no. (laughs) And they're like, yes. And so they all get in their coffins and their spiders and the mom freaks out and the dad's angry. And I'm like, well, she told you. Are you going to like acknowledge the fact that she told you? Which they don't, but that's okay.
1: Yeah. Lizzie is definitely the clear headed hero again. Yeah. And this instance of a revelation sort of like we saw in Dead House where... They're at the brink of death, all is lost moment. And she is clever enough to remember a detail. Yes. You know, let in the light. In this case, it's pinch the monster. Right. Which, again, it's humorous, but it worked in this case. So and, it's appropriate.
0: Yeah. And the part of that thinking, she she thought to herself, you know, all the signs have been real. None of them have been a joke. Right. And so like one of the signs when they first came in or when they, when they were looking to leave, it said nobody leaves Horrorland. There's one about not feeding the werewolves. Like there's all these different like funny-esque signs. But yeah, she's the one that makes the connection of like the signs are not a joke. None of this is a joke. So let's pinch them and find out what happens. And she saves them from falling into like purple tar, basically, and like everybody dying, which is I feel like that's better than teetering on a cliff.
1: I also like the idea of them deflating like balloons because the balloon image is there a lot through the book too. This is a good example of a lot of foreshadowing and symbolism that works well in children's novels. Mm. Because Stein does a lot of things like the signage, sets Mm -hmm. up that scenario that everything is real. There's things like black ice cream black balloons the description of the park feels like a maze and Mm -hmm. the going through thresholds is a test as well it's not just the ride it's just getting somewhere yeah it's a challenge Mm
0: -hmm. anything else
1: what other themes came up
0: i was thinking more like the sibling thing is a recurring theme totally we see that in dead house there is typically in these stories anyway a sibling dynamic but also it's just cool i like that dynamic i like the you know we we kind of talked about it in wrinkle and time a little bit this older sister protecting the younger brother it can work really well if you do it well <laughs> right. but it can also suck if you don't do it well and, and in
1: this case each each scenario is encouraging yeah the sister gets the idea
0: and and the brother plays sort of an active role which is good because he gets things moving but they're also very annoying they are right Play was incredibly annoying <laughs> And it was like, every time they survived death, he was like, let's do it again. I'm like, what the hell, kid? Right. Hello? Like, wake up. What do you? <sighs> and his poor friend Luke is all sweet and, like, kind. I was like, I bet you wish that was your brother.
1: Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't know that characters didn't die in these books, I'm like, yeah, Luke is going to be the first to die. I
0: know. <laughs> I thought Luke was going to die in the doom slide. I was like, damn, that was the first ride they took and he's gone right but yeah it's a kid's book so nobody dies Good. Right. I mean unless they're already dead totally. <laughs> well, I'm
1: glad I'm glad Luke survived this mm-hmm. <laughs> out of all of those things that they went through what was your favorite ride
0: I think the one that got to me the most would probably be the bats and that's partially because it was darkness and because she felt like flapping and she felt like things touching her like that would freak me out what about you well, this is how I thought of it. If I could survive one of these, uh-huh. it
1: would probably be the trick mirrors. Really? Because the false sense of space, even though the walls are coming in towards me, mm-hmm. mirrors are very tricky because it feels like it, there is more space than there is. Right. So I I wouldn't feel as claustrophobic. Like in the dark, that's terrifying. Mm. On a slide, that's terrifying. In a coffin, that's horrible. But with trick mirrors, I'm just like, yeah, I'm dying, but I feel like I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's a weird way to think about it. But
0: that's the one I could survive for sure. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's the one I would not pick. Just because I don't want to see my own terrified face. (laughs) Interesting. As the last thing I see before I die. (laughs) Or being crushed to death, but. I also don't like mirrors as it is, so. You're
1: right. We've talked about this before. Yeah, that's just me. (laughs) Are we ready for our favorite quotes in the story? Let's do our quotes. So this is my favorite quote. As the air rushed from her mouth, she appeared to deflate, just like a balloon. I gaped in amazement as she folded helplessly to the ground. An angry cry rose up from the crowd of horrors. Inflate her! One of them yelled, "'Inflate her immediately!' So whiny. (laughs) "'I am a monster, I just think that's really funny. Yeah. The balloon imagery, which makes it
0: humorous. Yeah. I went the opposite direction.
1: Interesting.
0: "'One person died here?' Luke asked. The horror shook his big green head. "'No, not what I meant.' "'What did you mean?' Luke demanded. "'A person can only die once here,' the horror said. "'No one has ever died twice.' I, love, I remember that, too. He's like, yeah, <laughs> you wanted the answer, so you got the answer. I
1: love it. All of the monsters answered similarly, didn't they? In this weird cryptic...
0: Yeah, it's, like, a reassuring at first, and then you're like, wait. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> like, yay oh no, this is bad.
1: <laughs> Again, that's a pretty thematic of Stein's style. He's yeah. minimal but clever.
0: Yes. So we originally talked about reading three books, which we kind of went over in the beginning. So the third book we read was The Haunted Mask, which is number four in his original series. And then we ended up reading uh, an additional book uh, from The Haunted Mask series, which is part of another series called Wanted. So I think it's a lot of the classic, whether it's a monster or something like The Haunted Mask, like magical items. I think the dummy is in the Wanted series. I think it's some of his more popular stories that they extrapolated on and went further with. Ooh. Uh, So let's start with The Haunted Mask.
1: 1993, the TV show equivalent aired 1995. Carly Beth is so fed up with being teased and easily scared by her friends that one Halloween she decides she will take her revenge by scaring them. Sneaking into the back room of a mask shop... Carly Beth finds some of the most hideous, real-looking masks she's ever seen. And though reluctant to let her buy it, the store owner allows Carly Beth to select one and leave with this warning. You'll be sorry. And of course, the longer Carly Beth wears the mask, the more evil, angry, and destructive she becomes. When she tries to take it off, she discovers that it's melded into her face. And returning to the mask shop, the shop owner reveals the origins of the mask— stating that they were once real, beautiful faces he designed in a lab. But the experiment went wrong, and they turned ugly and came to life. The only way Carly Beth can remove the mask now is with a symbol of love. And with those words, Carly Beth remembers that her mother designed a lifelike face of Carly Beth's face. And she uses this replicated face to ward off the ugly and the evil. And the mask finally comes off. And the twist in the book then is, well, actually both. This is the same twist. In the last scene, she leaves the mask on the floor in her house. She's like super relieved. She got it off. She got it off. She's yeah. back. Uh, and she just kind of just like drops it. Which is silly. Yeah, right? I mean, if this was like Jumanji, I'd be like, I know. you're going to burn that shit with this <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know, man.
0: That's terrifying. The 90s prepared us for these outcomes, you know? <laughs> yeah. We know what to do. This <laughs>
1: is so, you can't just like bury things anymore. <laughs> So when she's talking to her mom in the last scene, her brother comes in. Carly Beth, how do I look with your mask on? Right. The end. The end. So that one's kind of a scary ending as well, right? Right. It's like horrific. So (laughs) many themes with this one, right? The first thing Jen mentioned when we did talk about this book, that you compared this scenario to a episode of The Twilight Zone, right? Also called The Masks. Masks. And that's a typical Halloween theme, right? This is a masquerade. This is the time to be somebody else, be right. something else. Yeah. And I like the premise of a little girl who's easily scared trying to be the scarer.
0: They're so cruel to her. They are. Like, unbelievably cruel, in my opinion. It's traumatic. They torment her, yeah. yeah. And she's just like, she jumps easily. Like, goddamn, can you guys, like, relax? I feel like they didn't quite get what they deserved. Like, yeah. the lesson was on her somehow. I'm like, well, I get it, but, like, also, no. I just think it's I, – I like where Carly Beth ends up. I like that she ends up being kind of a badass in the end and that she she doesn't – it's not necessarily that she doesn't need to be afraid anymore. It's doing it, you know, feeling the fear and doing it anyway sort of thing. But that doesn't I, – I guess the, like, Aries in me needs some more, like, justice. And I felt like, you know, bullying shouldn't be – just swept under the rug as you're being too sensitive. What about this idea of
1: like a two-face of a face of love and a face of horror which comes up a lot not only in the mask that Carly Beth's mom makes for her which is mm-hmm. a replica of her actual face which seems right.
0: really <laughs> horrific anyway. I think that was the episode that made
1: it horrific really? in okay. a lot of ways. <laughs> That's true. When she puts on the horror mask she carries the replicated face with her. She's two-faced the whole time when she's trick-or-treating with her friends and She's slowly melding into the horror aspects of herself, but she keeps her face with her. until On a she, stick.
0: Yeah. feels like a, yeah. Like
1: those moments of wartime when yeah. you, you stake a person's yeah. head.
0: Yeah, that's, it's very much that. Mm. She puts it on a stick and carries it around with her. And she's basically just like in a cape, right? Yeah. With the mask. Yeah. And it, it's effective.
1: And then at some point in the book, she just whacks her replicated face away. Right. Because she's just become the monster, which I think is what that, Intended to mean right it's yeah. symbolically like I'm done I'm I am the monster now yeah and in the TV show it happens similarly except she intentionally buries the replicated face right what did you think of that
0: Symbolisms yeah wise love it I I like both I like the idea of just discarding it because it doesn't matter anymore and I like the idea of burying it it worked in both cases because they kind of diverge right the episode and the book have some differences. And I think they both worked in their perspective cases.
1: I absolutely agree. (laughs) So the climax of each and how she regains her humanity is interesting. Because in the burial case, when she unburies the mask, her face... I was like, you mean the coffin? But I got you. You're right. (laughs) She goes back to where she buried it. She unburies it. She takes it out and she like throws it in front of the haunting masks because she's actually being pursued by the ugly faces from the mask shop. She thinks she's doomed and Mm -hmm. she remembers her mom's mask. Mm -hmm. So she takes it out and she just like throws it in front of them saying, this is me. I'm Carly Beth. And that's enough. That's the symbol of love and the masks go away. Right. And she's able to remove the ugly face. And in the book, which I thought was really interesting, mm-hmm. she actually puts it on over the ugly mask. Yeah. So she has her face, she has the ugly face, and then she has the replicated face. Right. So it's like three layers all at yeah. once. Yeah. But again, that's a symbol of her becoming Carly Beth again. Right. And that's enough to make the faces go away. Right.
0: I and you know again. I read the. I mean, I saw the episode before I read the story, and I think the actor that played Carly Beth in the show really like nailed it. Like she was who I thought about when I was reading it, Um, because she had a very young sounding voice, younger than she was. But when she, like, got to the evil voice, ooh, it was so good. It was so good. I was was like, yeah. I mean, it was was pretty terrifying. So when her friends are scared, they're like, Carly, like, stop. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. I'm like, no. (laughs) Watch out. She's on the loose.
1: And I think there's hints that she's grown from that experience, right? I know it was frightening, but also she gets some some confidence. Totally. Like, being able to scare rather than being the...
0: Yeah. The one being scared, yeah. And that she knows that that she has the potential to be bad, I think is a good lesson. Yes. Because it really does sort of reinforce the idea with her that she can be who she is and not be, I don't know, to stay like within herself, but not be so helpless necessarily.
1: The origin story is interesting too. The idea that they were made in a lab And the TV show gets a little bit more involved in the mask owner and Mm -hmm. his trauma, which was interesting because his thing was that he was unloved and he had scars on his face. Sort of like the Phantom of the Opera theme here coming up, where Mm -hmm. when the world is mean to you, you're mean to the world or you try to invent things to make you feel better. So in this case, he started off with these six or eight beautiful real faces and slowly his... Trauma, his hurt, his insides sort of poison them. Yeah, Mm. it hinders the experiment and they become grotesque because, again, they're still real flesh. But I think they're starting to reflect and mirror that trauma from the mask owner. Mm. And eventually the experiment goes completely wrong and they're able to come to life and take over whoever's wearing them.
0: Right. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I, I wanted to either know more or less. Mm. Like, I didn't really like knowing in between information. Um, I feel like you can kind of gather enough on your own without it, without saying that much. That's true. In the show, particularly. Because in the book, he doesn't, he doesn't really say much, right? Does he even say that? He, he does. He does. Because okay. that was
1: the quote I chose. But again, oh, okay. Stein's elegance of one sentence explains all. Yeah. That's what he does. It's one sentence of the experiment went wrong.
0: Yeah. The That's end. all you need to know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you're
1: right. The TV show milked it. And they're like, oh, I'm a yeah. I'm, I'm <gasps> like, cratic.
0: I'm not loved. And yeah. It was a little, yeah. It didn't quite mesh for me. Especially once I read the Wanted Haunted Mask origin story. And that was a lot. Or not origin, but another retelling of it was a lot more horrifying and made a lot more sense to me. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Should we hop into that real quick? Well, I was trying to decide, like, do you want to compare and contrast? Might as well. I do, because it, yeah. even
1: though we're pretty sure that's not the same universe. And oh, yeah, well, duh, because in this case, the origin story is that they're made in the lab.
0: Yeah, there's no origin in in the the wanted.
1: wanted. Yeah, good point. I like where we enter in Wanted. We enter the universe with a mask shop owner, and, and his brother is visiting him, and he opens this case of horrific masks, the same sort of description you hear in the original version. But in this case... The brother, like, does he put it on it?
0: Does he put the mask on him? Well, the brother is, like, out for revenge. Like, yeah. he is not, like, he's, he comes to him with, like, a business deal. Right. Right. And he's like, what are you doing here? We don't get along. You need to leave. And the dog's barking at the, or growling at the briefcase. Yeah, and then he opens it. And I think the mask goes on its own. Oh, yeah. And it attaches itself to to the main dude. He waits to witness his brother oh, it's being so gross. <laughs> taken over. Isn't
1: that a horrible oh. thing to do? That In itself, that sibling rivalry. And the fact that they're adults. Because we don't actually get to see too much of a first-person perspective in an adult. Right. In Stein's Goosebumps. Right. So it's interesting. And I think because of that, this is the scene that he goes a little bit further on as far as the yeah. gore.
0: <laughs> Just you wanna, a bit. Do you want to describe what happens next, Jin? Well, he's like trying to get it off he can't find the seam right which is a recurring theme and so he he finally grabs it somewhere and he like rips it off and he rips his own face off (laughs) with it which is just horrifying like skin coming sticking to the oh it's so great i love it and
1: because it's first person perspective and he says he knows he's gonna die because he feels it. He yeah. feels that his
0: skin is gone. Well, he said he's bleeding out. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about blood. Yes, <laughs> which was
1: yeah, that was surprising to read. Yeah,
0: um, but it was also
1: compelling. I'm, yeah, well, we're older, of course, so maybe that was a reason. Yeah, but his last thought is that. I have to make sure nobody gets this mask. Yeah. It's off his face. He knows he's going to die. Yeah. He's running to the attic and he throws it in this chest. He like buries it in this chest in the attic. And then he was like, I know I'm going to be dead, but I'm going to guard it. I'm going to yeah. be the guardian of the mask. Mm-hmm. So he puts himself in this closet and he basically just lets himself go. Die yeah. in the closet. But the way it was written was poetic.
0: Yeah, Totally. And he was like an old guy, right? Yeah. And he, he really did spend like his life like working on masks and like there's all these beautiful creations they talk about. I still think it's creepy whether it's a, a live mask or not. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be in a room full of masks. Right. But he's supposed to be like an artist at it, you know? So it was a pretty sad way to go. But it sets up the legend
1: of the mask, right? Yes. So now years later when we do follow the the kid narrator. Mm-hmm. Luann? Um, should we? Yeah. Should we talk about that scenario? Yeah, real quick? let's do it. It's similar, but this time her friends like her. <laughs> <You> <laughs> know, she likes her friends and friends like her. The idea is to make a scene in this party that they think is going to be really boring. Oh, they go to her they, friend's house. Yeah, right? they find the mask in the house. This is the same
0: house Polly. of the mask owner. Yeah. So Polly lives in the old mask maker's house. So it's like her and her two or three guy friends, two guy friends, they go over to Polly's house. And they're bored. into the attic. Yes. They go into the attic and they find the chest and they find this creepy mask. And who, who shall, shall put it on
1: <laughs> but
0: Annabeth? Uh, Luann. Luann. Oops. <laughs> Whoa. That was a
1: weird mixture of names. Uh, yeah. She puts on the mask and then they hear the noise in the in closet. The closet. Mm-hmm. And when they open the closet, the guardian is still alive. He's all boned, but yeah. he's animated. Right. Oh. And I think he warns them, take off the mask. You got to take it off. And that frightens the kids like hell, and yeah. they run down back into the party, and then the party freaks out because there's these three kids now wearing horrific masks. Right. And then slowly, like we see with uh, Carly Beth, it starts to take her over.
0: Yeah, things get crazy with Luann. She kind of goes off the deep end.
1: I guess the rule of the mask is, whoever's wearing it, is anger is the mm-hmm. first emotion that rage. always comes up. Yeah, rage. Not mm-hmm. just angry, right? It's rage. And then destruction they can't help themselves they just tear everything apart oh,
0: there were so many times in that book where it was like Luann don't do it because you can hear them thinking their own thoughts but then thinking the monster thoughts right? right which is very effective I love that there's a part two to the haunted the original haunted mask in so you go back with Carly Beth and it's her friend this time <gasps> her friend finds a creepy mask and she's like what kind of creepy mask And it's the same actors and they tell her where she where he got it, and they can't find him. And so she's like, "Where did you get it?" And they're like, "What is your problem?" She's like, "Shut up, <laughs> just tell me where you got it." And they go to the to the mass shop, and it's all oh, shut down and like wow. spider webs. And they break into the bottom floor, and all it's great because her two friends are like freaking out, and she's the brave one. Aww. She's just like, "We have to know." She's just, like, "Yeah, yeah girl. she's been through it, you know." Exactly. Yeah, I like it. And yeah, so then they, they find one of the masks missing, but this time it's an old face. It's <gasps> like a really creepy old face. Oh. And so the the boy is, like, turning into this, like, horrible old gross man. Ugh. And the haunted mask is on the mask owner, and he is telling him to do his bidding. He wants Carly Bath. <gasps> and so he, he's like, your life for Carly Baths. <gasps> it's great. You should watch it. <laughs> that sounds really compelling. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Wow. It was nice to see the kids back together again and Carly Beth being the leader. Ooh.
1: Yeah. So there's obviously a lot of material here in the theme of the mask. And just as a side note because I don't think the final perspective in the wanted version is very important to the mask theme at what all. What the hell was that? It's just I think his way of connecting via characters, the fact that characters know each other in the same universe. I I think it's a compelling standalone story. It has to do with pumpkins. Agreed. That's the theme. The only thing you guys need to know, though, is that...
0: Luann. (laughs) Luann. Wow.
1: That Luann's story doesn't end in part two. We are left on a cliffhanger. We don't know what's happening to her yet. And in this case, the way to get the mask off is an act of kindness Mm -hmm. rather than an act of or a symbol of love. So it's a little bit different here. And Luann thinks that it means she must do an act of kindness. (laughs) So she's attempting to do that. It's so painful to read. (laughs) It is, because she's really trying. She's really trying. And she succeeds. She actually saves the life of Polly. So the third story with her friend. So we've followed the friend through this entire pumpkin theme story. And he's about to get killed by ghosts basically slash zombies yes yes slash (laughs) zombies again and then luann enters the scene yeah she still is the mask but she has this intent of saving her best friend
0: yeah and like in her primal brain somewhere she was like something's wrong yeah i really liked that part because she ends up brawling with this like ghost vampire kid that's her own age but it's kind of impressive to like read it it gets to the point where this other dude is gonna kill her or take her with him Take her with him to the grave, basically. And it's Paul, what's his name? I don't remember. Joel? <laughs> um, so her friend,
1: the one that we're talking about, he thinks he's gonna die. His best friend comes out of nowhere wearing this terrible mask, but he knows it's her. He can tell it's Luan. So when it looks like she's now gonna die, he steps up and, and helps her. And doing that, it's an act of kindness. So it had to have been done to Luann rather than her doing the act of kindness. And she realizes that when he does save her life, she's just like, oh, you're the one who did it. Like, you saved me. And she pulls off the mask. Mm -hmm. So now they're both saved. Mm -hmm. and They came to each other's aid. So my quote, which I took from the original mask story with Carly Beth, Mm -hmm. was when the mask owner was describing the lab experiment. Mm -hmm. So he says, They weren't ugly in the beginning, he interrupted, his voice bitter, his eyes angry. They were beautiful, and they were alive. But something went wrong. When they were taken out of the lab, they changed. My experiments, my poor heads, were a failure. But I had to keep them alive. I had to.
0: He didn't have to. No, he didn't. He's kind of crazy, yeah. (laughs) He did not have to do any of that. Okay. What about you? Um, Let's see. Carly Beth waved the broomstick. She pointed up to the head. That's Carly Beth's head, she told them. Her voice was a deep, throaty rasp. Huh? The boys gazed up at it uncertainly. That's Carly Beth's head, she repeated slowly, waving it toward them. The painted eyes of the sculpted face appeared to glare down at them. Poor Carly Beth didn't want to give up her head tonight, but I took it anyway. So good. (laughs) That's like Carly Beth talking about Carly Beth. It's crazy.
1: That's awesome. I love it. (laughs)
0: The imagery that sticks out for me the most comes from the mass stories, the different the various mass stories and of these like different characters sort of wildly running around in a suburban neighborhood where like little kids are trick or treating and they're just like kind of losing their minds and speaking in like a different sort of voice. There's a lot of like, these are not my eyes, this is not my voice, things like that, which I think are really compelling. They kind of stick with me a little bit more. And, you know, the, the idea that it, we we should feel safe in putting on these masks, right? Because that's, like, what helps us learn. But at the same time, the horror aspect is not being able to take them off. And that's what we got in the Twilight Zone episode about the masks. That's what we get in this one. And I think we get that to a certain degree in, in the Horrorland one and in Dead House. Like, there are different versions of it. But there's still this idea of, I don't know, staying on top of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you should spook yourself a little without like damaging yourself <laughs> yeah
1: and like we said these are pretty safe compared to some other materials that were out there at the time and of course out there now and i think the formula is compelling it works yeah the reason why it works and if you need an entrance into the universe of goosebumps you might want to check out the feature with jack black it has yeah. nothing to do with i mean it, it does, does but it does it but it doesn't yeah. do but it doesn't the stein stuff Right. But it's a fun family way of getting into the universe, I would say.
0: I agree. And I want to rewatch it now that I've read some of the stories and see kind of what comes up because we didn't read some of the classics. We didn't read the Slappy, the Dummy. We didn't read that one. So I feel like, you know, those and those are ones that people talk about a lot and are in the Goosebumps film uh, as major players to some degree. So I, I agree. I think it'd be a good intro if you are not sure how you feel about it. Plus, reading is good for you, so try reading the books as well.
1: You're You're
0: in for a scare. Like always, you can like and follow us and share our material on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, you can go to our website, which is ByteThePen.com, and please rate and review us on iTunes if you get a chance. And we want to say thank you to Jesse Martinez, who is our... Patron. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Sorry, I I still have family opera in my head. (laughs) I was going to say pimp, but that didn't... That's not... He's our backer. Yes. So thank you for backing us. Have a safe and horrifying Halloween. Try to enjoy yourself, you know? Let yourself have a treat or two. That's okay. Gotta get this mask off. It's boiling inside. Good idea. Ah, ah. What's the Ouch! Carly Beth, what is it? No, I skipped it won't come off.